This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Canaccord are an award-winning wealth and investment managers who go above and beyond to support your financial decision-making. Visit candowealth.com to start building your portfolio with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Katie Balls. So Pretty Patel hasn't solved the problem of migrants coming across the channel, but she does have some idea of who is to blame. Katie, what's been going on here with the rhetoric? So the channel crossings have been a problem that has been rising, I think, in political potency in recent months. The Prime Minister has been worried about it for some time in the sense that not only are the number of illegal immigrants coming over through the channel uh, notably high, higher than previous years, it's also the case that when it comes to this idea of taking back control and Brexit, it's the area where in number 10 they mm. worry they're particularly vulnerable images of you know people arriving on the shores uh, they think is corrosive to that idea and Priti Patel has been under pressure to find a solution as part of the reason ahead of the reshuffle there were questions about whether she would stay in position um, because it's hard to come up with a solution to this. Now Priti Patel has now blamed the EU's open borders for spurring a mass migration crisis in the channel. She said the Schengen Agreement which abolished borders among member states had left France overwhelmed and that is ultimately why there's such an issue in terms of the number coming to the UK and does this wash I think it is obviously a factor but I think ultimately the problem is the fact this has been a problem for such a long period of time I think it's really hard for Priti Patel to say it's nothing to do with the UK you know this is a problem that's just happening to us and even if you do say it's a problem that's just happening to you is that a convincing thing to tell voters you know it's not our fault it's just you know just uh, I think people still expect you to do something I think one of the problems the government has is they keep saying you know we're going to fix this and yet it doesn't seem to be anything going on there so I think public perception is moving in the wrong way too. Mm. James what do you think? I think this is a little bit like a sailor complaining about the sea. It is more diplomatic than blaming the French when you clearly need the French help if you're going to deal with the problem. So in some ways, it is an improvement. But I think, as Katie said, that the challenge for the government is this, is think how important that take-back control of, uh, uh, and, and in particular of, your, of the borders was to Brexit's victory in the referendum in 2016. It's very hard to think that the UK is in control of its borders when every night on the news you're seeing mm. pictures of people climbing out of dinghies in, in, on the south coast. And it's gone from something which was, you know, occasional, not very many people to, you know, um, more than a 1,000 people arrived on Tuesday this week. It's up to more than 23,500 people this year you've had two new daily records set for numbers in this month in November so this isn't like kind of high summer phenomenon and so the government's got to work out what to do about it the government has talked very tough on this but I think the idea of turning back the boats I think that has essentially the problems with that have dawned on people I think that one of the things people have realized is Australia most of these boats were coming from Indonesia more than a thousand miles away the channel is 20-odd miles wide. It's very difficult to do, very difficult to do it safely. If you tip up these boats and people end up in the water, I think any civilised country would have to pick man out of the water, and so you're, you're back to square one. I mean, that's why the government got so interested in this idea of an offshore processing facility. Mm-hmm. I think you know, it would be a deterrent effect if you didn't think that you were going to end up in the UK, but you were going to be sent to somewhere um, uh, far less pleasant to be processed, which is one of the things that the Australians did. Now, the problem with that is, 
where can you find to do that? You know, there was talk this week for um, the Times and story about Albania. Then as soon as that became public, the Albanian government were like, no, 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 we're not in talks with them. What's the think, story about Albania? About the setting up an offshore processing facility in Albania. So people would be picked up in the channel, then flown to Albania, where they would then be processed to work out whether their claim was valid or not. And so I think that, and I think, you know, as I understand it, I think there are about half a dozen countries the UK has tried to talk to about this, but there's, there's no great confidence in Whitehall about getting to yes with any of them. And then there's the other thing that Priti Patel was talking about this week, which is the asylum system. And she was saying, you know, look, it, it, it's dysfunctional. And, you know, that the Nationality and Borders Bill would, would solve the problem. But we have heard for more than 20 years now from both Labour and Tory politicians that this or that change will sort out the asylum system. And it still hasn't. I think this is a very, very difficult problem to solve. And I think the numbers are only going to grow when you look at what's happening both in Afghanistan, on Europe's eastern flank. And I don't quite see how they fix this. Because you know, a minister was making the point, a former Home Office minister was making the point to me this week that, you know, if you look at where Australia was doing its offshore processing facilities, these places were far poorer in comparison to Australia than, than almost anywhere vaguely in the UK's neighbourhood is in comparison to the UK. I suspect that what where we're, where we're heading to is that the National Anti Borders Bill will set a legal basis for this offshore processing facility. There will then be a massive row between the Lords and the uh, and the government over this. One person involved in discussions in government about this bill thinks that they're going to end up having to Parliament act it. And for now, the government will say, "Oh, look, look, we are we are fighting to change the system." But the problem they've got is this. Fighting to set up a legal basis for offshore processing is one thing. Finding somewhere where you can actually do it is quite another. <laughs> and Katie, where does all of this leave Priti Patel then? Because there were rumours before the last reshuffle that because she hasn't managed to solve this problem, she was not in a secure place, but then obviously she did keep her spot. But is, is her spot in danger if, she, if the problem continues to go? Well, it's not about to be a reshuffle anytime soon. So I don't think there's any uh, imminent sense... But at the same time, I think she's clearly the person on the most pressure to come up with a solution. It's also very clear there's no easy solution to this problem. And I think you then get to the point, which is, if there's no easy solution, if even uh, you've seen the kickback over this Albania idea, with um, you know, officials from the government in Albania saying, oh, we don't know anything about this, if there isn't any easy solution... Is it better to have a Home Secretary who talks really tough? And at least some people still think the rhetoric sounds similar. I think that will start to wear a bit thinner in the sense that I think Priti Patel this week said that she planned to stop every single crossing, 100%. And that really raised the eyebrows of her colleagues in government. I was speaking to lots of people across government who just thought that was a very strange tactic because it's no one really thinks you can do that. So you see this uh, point, and it's also what Boris Johnson has been doing um, when he spoke to the new intake, the 2019 intake, on Monday night at a drinks reception. He was talking about the government's achievements, and he said, you know, and our next one is, you know, we're going to stop the boats. And I think it's what MPs are really desperate to happen, because I think, as James says in his Times column, when it comes to the thing that uh, MPs get the most uh, messages about, the Tory sleaze route has been damaging. But I wouldn't say, in a way, as it's obviously been a poll side, but the way it's been the most damaging, I think, is what's done to party morale, Boris Johnson's relationship with MPs. When it comes to electoral issues, the boats are by far the thing that MPs get the most consistent, uh, you know, letters about. This isn't, you know, one week row, it's just a consistent issue. And therefore, like, something does need to be done. But 
if you're not going to be able to make uh, you know big progress, I think there's quite a lot of skepticism. I think you start getting into the point of well, what's the best way to handle that? And right now we're seeing a big you know upping of expectations by both Priti Patel and the Prime Minister, and I think that could start to look a little bit um, short-sighted in a few months' time. Mm. And James, speaking of tough-talking cabinet ministers, the new Culture Secretary Nadine Doris has given an interview to the BBC of all places. What did she say? She complained about you know that that left-wing activists have taken over social media that people are too afraid of, of being cancelled uh, and also said that she is she is not looking for a culture war i think that the challenge for nadine doris is that you know her success in politics so far ha- has been being quite outspoken not playing by the usual rules it's a different thing when you're a cabinet minister. I think you saw this week when uh, Laura Koonsberg tweeted out that Tory MP had said to her about Boris Johnson, the 1922 committee. Nadine Doris then you know, piled in saying, oh, that, 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 that's ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. And then had to delete the tweet because people were pointing out quite rightly, but it's not really appropriate for the culture secretary, who is obviously, when there is a licence fee negotiation coming up, to be arguing with the political editor of the BBC about their, their coverage. It just doesn't look right. And I think the challenge for her is how to how to navigate this. And then I think also the, the bigger challenge is this online harms bill, which I think is incredibly difficult, because I think the Tory party is wants contradictory things out of this. It doesn't want a bunch of West Coast tech companies deciding what can and cannot be said online, which that takes you to a kind of quite inherently pro-free speech position. But at the same time, it also wants to stamp out online abuse, which takes you to a very different position. And I think I, I I I really struggle to see how in legislation you can reconcile those two things. Katie, does the party think that Nadine Doris is the right person for this particular brief? I mean, it is known as the Ministry of Fun, but as James says, there are important and very sensitive stuff like the online harms bill going through. I mean, I think it was the most surprising cabinet appointment from the uh, view of Tory MPs. It was one that very few of them saw coming. And I think there's probably quite a few Tory MPs who think that they would do a better job. I think there's lots of Tory MPs who think they'd do a better job at nearly every right. position in cabinet. <laughs> so you take a pinch of salt, but it was the surprise move. I think, again, you almost go back to this point about what is a cabinet minister doing and what is their appointment saying? I think Nadine Doris' appointment is saying something. So it's saying, you know, we're going to talk tough on the BBC that plays well with the base. It's edging a bit towards culture wars, even though this interview said she was not walking towards one, just in the sense that you have someone who is very outspoken. And I think there is a sense by having someone like that, in a way, maybe you have to do less in terms of action because you're signalling something and that means that in terms of some of these reforms which everyone's quite divided on how much the Prime Minister really wants to do in terms of cracking down on the BBC you can perhaps have it both ways I think in terms of the difficult jobs in DCMS it is as James says a really tricky brief and it was a big promotion for Nadine Doris because um, she went from obviously being a junior minister to Secretary of State time will tell but it's definitely one that MPs are keeping an eye on Katie and James thanks very much and if you enjoyed what you heard on the podcast today do check out the evening blend email from Isabel Hardman and Katie it's at spectator.co.uk forward slash blend to sign up for free uh, and you'll get it every day thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow